new VanCast to start this week that, well, Drancer, it's the kind of week that could wind up with, I don't know, about a thousand scenarios. Oliver Ekman Larson could become a Vancouver Canuck. It's also the kind of week that could see Louis Erickson remain a Canuck and Jacob Markstrom playing for one of their chief rivals. Like, that's how crazy this week could ultimately be for the Vancouver Canucks. And so uh, we thought we would get in before the madness. This truly is going to be the calm before the storm, if you will. We know there's a draft coming up over two days. And beyond that, all sorts of front office business for the Vancouver Canucks to do. But before we talk any hockey, you and I are recording this in the same city. Not in the same room, but you're back. You made it home. I'm home, and it's... It feels so good, man. Like, it feels so good. I have this, like, chair right by my window that I sort of sit in and do all my work. It's kind of, it became my, like, pandemic workstation because I obviously vacated my office uh, so that my wife could use it once she went into work from home mode. And by the way, there's, like, a lot of hockey people. A lot of hockey people work from home, whether you're a reporter or support staff or, you know, a director of hockey operations. And and at one point during the pandemic, I remember polling everybody and all of the guys had been kicked out of their office. <laughs> and uh, so, so anyway, I've got this chair. It's right by the window. I've got a view of the mountains. Like, I've got a view of Lynn Valley. I can basically see your house, J-Pat. I'm waving. I, I am waving. And, 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 and so I set up there on Sunday and I made like eight hours worth of calls. And... It was the best. Like, I felt so good to just be in my own space, focused again solely on the Canucks. Like, it felt so good to just be back to doing, you know, the thing I love doing the most in my home, in my hometown, in my chair with a view of Lynn Valley. Like, let's go. And it's going to be a great week. Like, this is as good a week as it gets for hockey fans, for hockey media. Speculation is rampant. Stress levels are high. The pressure is elevating hour by hour as we get closer to the draft and free agency and the qualifying offer deadline and the buyout window closing. I mean, this is hockey news Armageddon. It's here and it's magnificent. Yeah, and the last time you and I did one of these late last week, we both kind of crapped on the idea of all of Reckman Larson being a Vancouver Canuck. It was, you know, talk that was in its infancy then and it sounded like maybe it was the Canucks just kicking some tires and doing their due diligence. But man, this thing is... Did we did we crap all over it? I thought we passed it by pretty quickly and agreed that it wasn't the right move for the Canucks in that moment. No, but, but I think if you go back, I noted that unless, for example, he was to steer himself toward them in a narrow sense no i'd have to i'd have to go back and listen to the tapes and, and maybe i'll do that maybe i'll go back and and just enjoy domet 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 key in key in that loaded phraseology is as i was not quite working to figure out the other team in the loop but it had sort of an inkling that perhaps this was nigh not that not that that gives me any credit i mean i was traveling that day so i didn't run it down and and so it goes, but I, I wondered, and I'd sort of heard rumblings, not reliable enough to pass along publicly or on the podcast, but I'd wondered if perhaps he had his eyes on Vancouver. Turns out he does. And I do think that that changes the analysis significantly because now it becomes a question of whether or not the Canucks can reallocate cap space from the bottom six of their forward group into, you know, what, what, however you think of Ekman Larson, personally, I value him as a top pair defenseman. I know my colleague Harmon Dial values him as a, as a three four, but regardless of what you think of three four or one two, he's clearly a more serviceable piece than the likes of Erickson or Sutter or what have you. And if the Canucks can change up some of their cap allocation, transfer some of that inefficient money at the bottom of their forward group into the top four of their defensive group. 
I mean, I think that's a game changer for a team in terms of for this team. Uh, if the acquisition cost is is reasonable or right at all, and, and something they gotta seriously explore. Do we know sort of the origins of all of this? Like, is this Ekman Larson wanting out of Arizona and getting a, a clean break, or is this the Coyotes so motivated to move the most onerous salary on their books? Like, I, I'm still having trouble trying to figure out from the Coyotes' perspective: new management, new ownership. And man, Bill Armstrong, like talk about being put in a tough spot, right? Like, you know, welcome to the job. Here's your phone. Make something happen. And not just make something happen. Get rid of $60 million off the books. Like, that's a big ask <laughs> right. for a first. I know he's been an assistant GM in St. Louis and, and knows the ropes. But still, like, that's your first assignment. He hasn't even caught his breath in the desert yet. And now it sounds like, you know, they're trying to offload all this money. We saw that. They bought out Michael Grabner. I mean, that's a smaller deal, obviously. But, but like, was this Ekman Larson just deciding that he wanted out now? Or was this a move from above? I think a mix. I think they looked at their cap situation, and it is onerous. Like, that team is in... I, w- I don't even want to know how we would cover... <laughs> that team if they were in Vancouver in terms of their cap situation, right? Like it is way worse for the Coyotes than it is for the Canucks. Now, the other thing that makes it difficult is that the Coyotes would also like to save salary and almost everyone across the board, including Ekman Larson, has already had bonus payments paid and, and often paid late, as we've learned from reporting from our athletic colleague, uh, Katie Strang, uh, over the past two months. So almost everyone like across the board, Derek Stepan, you know, Jason Demers, uh, Ekman Larson himself, all, all of them have less salary due than their cap hit represents, with the exception of Alex Goligoski, who I thought was going to be the most likely candidate to be moved and a guy who I'd, you know, sort of looked at and prepared to write stuff about being like a, a possible target for the Canucks. And I think, though, ultimately, two things sort of stand out. And one is that, you know, Ekman Larson is a $57 million salary liability through the year 2027, right? Like that's massive. Whether or not you owe him four or 8.25 this year, you owe him 57 million over the next seven years. It's a massive, massive hit. And ultimately, I think that partly it's Ekman Larson asking out. Partly it's the Coyotes knowing that this is their surest route to clearing salary uh, in terms of the cap. And in terms of the long term, as they look at their salary projections in the years and years to come, I think it makes sense as a move to launch a rebuild effectively. And that looks to be what the Coyotes are doing. And look, that makes sense. Like if you're going to rebuild, rebuild now when you're looking at, you know, what might be a 48 game season during the 2020-21 calendar year in which you can't really make gate revenue anyway, right? Like this is the year. If you want to change course and rebuild as a team in a non-traditional market, like do it now. If that's Armstrong's sort of key analysis, key suggestion on his first day on the job, like good for him, then he's the right hire. That's the smart, ballsy call. And my guess is is that this is part of that process. I, I hear you, and yet at the same time, I, I think you know here we know the troubles that that franchise has faced forever in the desert, and you know they disappear because of this global pandemic. I, I don't know that. Oliver Ekman Larson is the face of that franchise. I mean, Shane Doan will probably always be the face of that franchise. But but right. uh, among current and active players, he's their captain at the very least. And so this team disappears, and whenever it resurfaces, 
Taylor Hall's not going to be there anymore. And, you know, a guy that two years ago committed to this franchise and talked about how this is where he wanted to be and this is what he believed in. And all of a sudden he's going to be gone as well. Like it's just, you know, add it to the long, long list of reasons why hockey continues to flounder in that market. No question. But you know what? Sometimes you got to realize that you're capped out with a team that at best is New York Islanders West and at worst got beaten beat like 15 to two in the last two, two decisive games against the Colorado avalanche, like got beat like a drum uh, in the playoffs. So, you know, I think, I think it makes sense to change gears a little bit. Ekman Larson, especially when you factor in his age, uh, you know, I do think he can be like a potential finishing piece on the right team, but I don't know that he's the guy that gets that franchise over the hump. Right. And so I, I think it makes sense that they explore this. That said, I don't think a deal at the moment makes any sense for the Canucks unless it involves a significant reallocation of the cap space committed from their bottom six forwards to the defense core. And as such, you know, I'm not sure it's a deal that makes a ton of sense necessarily for the Coyotes where they're at. Um, just because if Sutter or Erickson aren't going back, uh, you know, I don't see how it makes sense for the Canucks to really go too far down this road there are going to be cheaper ways, uh, <coughs> Eric Cernak, to, to potentially upgrade your defense score. I don't even look. I, I I don't know why the Eric Cernak thing. People are like bringing up bringing it up to me. Like my friends are texting me, being like Cernak, eh? And uh, and I'm just like, yeah. Like it was just a hypothetical. Like calm down, everybody. But you know, anyway, there are other ways to go about upgrading your defense score. Whether it's Barry, whether it's an offer sheet for a guy like Cernak, whether it's a, a, another trade from a team looking to shed salary or cap. Like there are other ways to do this without committing to taking on a $57 million salary liability over seven years, you know, and an even larger than that cap liability over the same course of time. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast before and, and you know, the Canucks would certainly have done their homework. They would know the player. I mean, everybody knows the top players in the National Hockey League. So intel yes. on Oliver Ekman Larson is not an issue, but we know that Travis Green and Rick Tockett are, are, you know, pretty good buddies as far as coaches go in that fraternity. And so I'm sure that, you know, some questions would have been asked uh, back channels at the very least about uh, the types of players and the situation. When you look at Oliver Ekman Larson as a fit in Vancouver, like just the player that he is now at 29, and you talked about, you know, how you valued him compared to a guy like Harm, and Harm has written a nice piece that's posted if people haven't seen that, mm -hmm. you know, if they want to do some some background on Oliver Ekman Larson as well. Like, we know that Travis Green really prefers lefties and righties. Like, do you see any way that they would bring him in and play him on the right side? Or do you see this as the Canucks stacking up the left side and essentially all of Reckman Larson would be uh, the heir apparent to Alex Edler whenever Edler reaches the end of the line here in Vancouver? Yeah, you stack up the left side, for sure. Uh, I would look at it like he's he'd be the Canucks version of Ryan McDonough, right? Now, I'm sure, I'm sure in you know, the coach's mind, right? If he gets Ekman Larson and has Hughes as well, he'd look at Ekman Larson as the guy who's his first choice matchup guy, right? Like, oh, I'm getting shredded by Ryan O'Reilly. Ekman Larson's the first guy I'm turning to, right? And I think over 20 games, like I don't think it would take a long time, but ultimately I do think Hughes is the better overall defenseman in terms of his global impact on the game it just might not always look like that if you're judging it based on you know the video you're seeing of 
uh, who's holding up better on in-zone play in the defensive end. But in terms of who's going to do more to help you outscore your opposition five-on-five, it's Hughes. And in terms of who's better on the power play, also Hughes. So, you know, for me, Ekman Larson would be a pretty clear second-pair guy. If not on day one, then certainly by 60 days in. And so, you know, it would be, though, an opportunity to stack up your left side, you know, sort of go with that Tampa Bay model, right? Where where you have, you know, Tampa Bay had Sergeyev, McDonough, and Hedman on the left side, and they were able to plug and play righties. Like, Zach Bogosian looked like he wasn't done, looked like he wasn't washed. Uh, Jan Ruda playing top pair minutes, sure. Whatever we have, we have a headman. We have a headman, Sergeyev and McDonough. Like, let's go. So, um, so you know, I think that would sort of be the hockey fit as I see it, and and I think that makes sense because additionally, I do think you're going to get more out of Edler, and and maybe not just next season, but in years to come, if you're playing him 12 minutes a game at even strength on a third pair. Like, what can Edler do as like mostly an offensive creator? in third pair sheltered minutes like i i actually think even at this stage of his career that might be really good like that might be awesome um so i i wonder if it helps you get more out of edler helps you preserve him for playoffs and and for the event that you need him to play bigger minutes over you know 10 15 game stretches here and there as a result of injury uh i mean i think that would be a huge luxury to stack up those three on your left side and and, you know, then on your right side, whether you keep Stetcher or, and you've obviously got Myers signed and maybe you're integrating Rafferty and maybe you get comfortable playing the likes of Ben or or Jack Rathbone, um, you know, Jet Wu eventually, uh, Jalen Chatfield on the right side. Like there are guys you can sort of filter through, save some money there, uh, mimic that Tampa Bay model, as it were, on the right side. And, and look, that to me makes sense. In my mind's eye, I can see that fit, uh, but I don't think. I, I don't think an Ekman Larson acquisition would be predicated, nor should it be predicated, on the idea of him or Hughes ultimately moving over to their uh, offside long term. It wasn't a surprise. Jim Benning wasn't uh, willing to go down that road on his Zoom with the local media. Uh, and we're recording this basically an hour after uh, we had the chance to chat with Jim Benning about everything that's on his plate. And there is a lot. All right, let's get to Jim Benning and his availability. He spoke for about 20 minutes and fairly guarded, as uh, seems to be the case right now uh, around the Canucks front office, and understandably so. I mean, there's pressure on. uh, There's a lot to get done still here. Jim said, hey, I've got some time, but time is ticking as we go. You know, again, reiterated that Jacob Markstrom is their first choice, that they want to get something done with Jacob Markstrom. But we're recording this on a Monday, Tom, and uh, Friday is very much within sight now, and that's when Jacob Markstrom is free to walk. It's going to go down to the wire. I think it was always going to go down to the wire once talks in January or February sort of, you know, fell apart, as it were. Once once that can got kicked uh, down the road to the end of the season, I, I thought for sure this was going to go down to the last minute. I think for sure that's coming, and it's going to be fascinating to see. You know, it looks like, based on Kyle Dubas's comments today, that the Maple Leafs aren't going to move on from Freddie Anderson, which would seem to take uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs club widely considered to be a dark horse for Markstrom out of the running. It looks like a deal between the Penguins and the Chicago Blackhawks involving Matt Murray fell apart uh, as the Blackhawks engaged with Murray in extension talks. Uh, So that might maybe mean that the Blackhawks are back in as a dark horse contender for Markstrom. I think we all expect Calgary to come hard. Um, 
there's some thought that Detroit might, but I don't see that fit at all because I don't see any indication that Iserman wants to be good. And if there's one free agent you could go get that might that might help you be better than you'd like to be uh, if you're a rebuilding club, it's Jacob Markstrom. Like, oh, we want a goaltender who can be above average behind a permissive defense? Like, Jacob Markstrom's your guy. That's the whole reason we thought Toronto might be involved. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't know that I see that fit, but the market should be there for Markstrom to some extent, at least to make more than the Canucks' best offer. And that's an inconvenient place to be, but on the other hand, the fact that they're still grinding away patiently uh, suggests that Markstrom does want to be in Vancouver. And, and that's not a surprise. I think we've kind of known that as an underlying factor here. Ideally, the Canucks want Markstrom back, and Jim Benning today reiterated that Markstrom is their first choice. And in his heart of hearts, I don't think Markstrom wants to leave a club where, you know, he's got the respect. Like, it's it's sort of an untold story because Markstrom doesn't open up to us at all, right? And, and part of the reason there's such a cone of silence around these negotiations is that's how he personally wants it. Right. This this is not a guy who wants his agent to go blasting, um, you know, and, and sort of scaring up value. And like this is a guy who likes and values his privacy. But, you know, internally in that locker room, like Markstrom's the cappy de tutti cappy uh, in that it, for that club. And, you know, it's things it's little things like, you know, buying a suite for a rookie on on his first game back in his hometown, his first NHL game. Like, it's it's just the little stuff that Markstrom does that sort of sets him apart, uh, that gives him that weight in that room. I don't think he wants to walk away from that. I don't think the team wants to walk away from a player who occupies that space. And I also think he gets a level of respect from Green, from Ian Clark, as a bona fide number one that matters, and, and matters a lot. So, you know, I think ultimately this gets done with a compromise that nobody likes, uh, but that ultimately is, you know, fair-ish value. Um, maybe the Canucks cave on term a bit. Maybe the maybe the Markstrom camp caves on AAV and, and total money a bit. And I don't expect there to be an NMC for the 2020-21 season. And, you know, that would be how I expect this to play out this week. But as things get down to brass tacks, as Markstrom gets closer to the market and potentially a payday above and beyond what, the, what he can, you know, find in Vancouver... Uh, you have to wonder if that gets tempting. And so we'll see here. Uh, the Canucks have contingency plans in place. They're prepared to go out and shop in that 1B market for a goaltender to share the net with Demko and sign a two-year deal, which permits them to expose him in the expansion draft. Uh, like, that's possible here. But I still just think that at the end of the day, cooler heads prevail there's too much reason for both these sides to come to an agreement, and I think they will. Um, I just think it's going to take every like it's going to take every second remaining on this ticking clock for it to get done. And I'm with you. Like there is a market out there. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And you mentioned Calgary. You mentioned Chicago. Like I just knowing what I know about Jacob Markstrom, and I'm not for a second going to stand here and tell you that I feel like I know everything there is to know about Jacob Markstrom. I know reasons, nothing about him. Right. For the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. I, that's one of my great frustrations of covering this team right now is when you talk to people about Jacob Markstrom, he sounds like the greatest guy in the world. And he just, he won't let us in. And that's, you know, that's his no, choice. No, no, he won't. Fine. But, like, there's so much there if anybody could ever sort of, you know, I know. crack that veneer. But, like, I just don't, I get no sense that he's got an <laughs> appetite to go to Detroit or Edmonton. 
Like, he's going to get paid wherever he goes, right? Like, what kind of premium would it take to go to a last-place team and a city like Detroit compared to the other options that he's going to have? And I feel the same way about Edmonton. Like, I just don't feel like Jacob Markstrom would feel... Like, I I think there's unfinished business here in Vancouver. I think he loves the guys that are in that room, and I think the guys in turn love him. Uh, You talked about the respect factor from the coach and the goalie coach. Like, those are big. And he is. Like, he's a big voice in that locker room. Even if he doesn't use that big voice with us all that often, he's still, like, he is a guy that takes up a lot of oxygen in that room. And I think he likes that role. And so, you know, there's just a lot of reasons why it makes sense for him to come back to Vancouver. But, I mean, the dollars have to make sense as well. I just don't think, as I sit here, I don't get the sense that Detroit or Edmonton are legitimate options for Markstrom. Those teams might think they're legitimate options because they could use what Jacob Markstrom can provide. I I just have a tough, tough time envisioning Jacob Markstrom as a Red Wing or an Edmonton Oiler. Yeah. Also, Markstrom hates losing, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's the other thing about him, right? And why he's such a good fit on this team is he's happy to be Grant Fuhrer in that he doesn't care about the save percentage numbers. Like, all he cares about is winning and not losing games and multiple games in a row. And I think he sees a clear path to winning more often going forward here than he has in over the, you know, the, the previous five years of his Canucks career. Uh, look, I think all of that's going to matter. And, you know, I, personally, I love covering Jacob Markstrom because I can tell he listens to my questions and tries to find holes to poke in them <laughs> and so it's a it's like a it's a challenge and and it's a lot of fun and and you know I think I think it's fun to cover guys who are skeptical who you have to trick into being personable who you have to pick the right moment the right spot uh who you really have to work at building a relationship with and I'm not even close right <laughs> I'm not even I haven't even made a dent but uh but I still enjoy that challenge and you know again based on the accounts of everybody who's around that team and in the circle, um, you know, Markstrom sounds like the best. So uh, I think they need him. I think he's a crucial piece, an essential one. And and I think they'll find a way to get it done. But I do think it's getting dicey. And in the meantime, you know, it does look like the optimism of two weeks ago on the Tyler Toffoli side has sort of lifted. I, I don't think there's been any progress made there. And I don't think there's been any progress made on Chris Tanev. And you're talking about guys who matter a lot in that room, guys who've been here for 10 years, uh, guys who are the best defensive defenseman on a team that struggles to prevent goals. Uh, Tanev's a pretty pretty essential piece here too. And those talks have gone nowhere to this point. I think frustration's beginning to set in um, on the player side, the player's camp side. And we'll sort of see where that one goes too. But, you know, at the moment, it's all hands on deck for Markstrom. It's all hands on deck for Ekman Larson. Although the sense I get at this point is that, you know, everyone kind of knows where they stand. There's not a lot of grinding on that front a- anymore. Um, and then you get into all the stuff on the back burner, which includes a, a couple of pretty key pieces into Foley, who's, you know, a bona fide top six forward and essential to the underlying logic of what makes this team special potentially, which is that no one can check their top six easily. And a guy in Tanev who might mean more in that room than just about anyone aside from Jacob Markstrom and maybe even more than Jacob Markstrom based on his tenure and his just overall ability to, you know, snuff out the opposition's offensive attack, a relatively unique skill set on a team that 
as we've seen, struggles to prevent goals and certainly struggles to prevent scoring chances. Things are going to change here over the course of the week, so that's one of the dangers of doing a podcast right now. But this is, you know, we're dealing in the here and now as we record this. And of course, uh, you know, we know ultimately by Friday there will be some things uh, that come down the pipe news-wise. And we'll continue to be flexible with our own recording throughout the week. If there is massive news that requires uh, an emergency vancast, we'll be all over it. Uh, just as we sit here, and, and again, Jim, Jim Benning has verbalized uh, sort of this team's commitment to Markstrom as their priority uh, as time ticks to Friday between Tanev and Toffoli right now. Who do you think second on this club's list? I think it depends on who you ask internally, uh, personally, right? I think there's, uh, you know, an understanding that in terms of overall value, uh, Toffoli's probably greater, but I also think there's concerns that this team needs goal prevention more than it needs another top six forward that this core group is going to score anyway and that really what they need more of is is a guy like Tanev who registers in terms of the leadership in terms of the tenure that he's had in this market and in terms of his ability to kill penalties and you know play those matchup minutes and defend so honestly I think it depends a little bit on who you ask but for me for me I, I for me Tanev's a buyer beware type player just because of his age and his overall calibration as a defensive defenseman. Uh, whereas Toffoli, I think, has a you know higher floor in terms of what this looks like if he's not good in year four or five, right? So we'll see. I, I loved covering Chris Tanev. I, I really admire the way that he plays the game. I hope he gets paid. But if I'm a manager, I'd be very, very reluctant to give him a deal with a significant term like, I, I'd be really insistent on controlling the term on his next contract. Uh, whereas with Toffoli, like a, a five times four or four times five type deal is something that I wouldn't sweat too much at all just because he'd be 31 at the expiry of the deal. And, you know, I, I, I think even in the very last year of that contract, I'm feeling very confident that he's going to be a top nine at the very least, if not still a top six forward. So, you know, it's it's tough tough to gauge overall if you had to ask me like gun to my head who's a bigger priority for the club right now I'd, I'd probably guess Tanev by a by a whisper but I mean I think realistically both situations are back burner at the moment as the club deals with Markstrom Ekman Larson and a variety of the other things going on including draft prep uh, at the moment right and so the draft goes Tuesday and into Wednesday you know, we've covered off the UFAs. We've talked about this Oliver ekman Larson deal. You know, we know now that qualifying offers are going out, although Jim Benning said that uh, there are still some decisions to be made. And I think the two that we have talked about at length are Vertanen and, and Stetcher. And behind the scenes, they still may know what their their plan is there, but Jim wasn't tipping his hand uh, on the Zoom call with the media. So we didn't really get any further down that road. He was asked about buyouts as well. He said, oh, you know, no decisions there. So, you know, those are always an option that will remain until the end of the week. But the RFAs, the qualifying offers have to go out uh, by the middle of the week. What's your sense? Are they any further ahead on either Vertanen or Stetcher? 
I, I think those will go down to the wire too, just because there are significant arbitration liabilities attached to those potential awards, right? They're, they're, both Stetcher and Vertanen are in a position where they're going to get paid and they're going to get paid at a level that might be inconvenient for where they slot into the Canucks lineup. You know, third line probably for Vertanen, uh, third pair probably for Stetcher. You know, those are areas where the Canucks might prefer to be super efficient next season, especially considering the flat cap and the need to preserve flexibility ahead of, you know, uh, the mammoth second contracts due Pedersen and Hughes in this offseason of 2021. And so, you know, on the other hand, though, they're not likely to be awarded so much that the Canucks can walk away from the deals. So you really have to be careful in qualifying them. It's a really tough decision. And ideally, you'd have some other clarity, especially, you know, along the blue line in your top six forward group um, before you make those decisions. So we'll see here uh, how the Canucks decide to proceed. I bet that both are qualified, but I understand why the Canucks are proceeding with extreme caution, uh, especially considering the flat cap and especially considering that, you know, we don't even know, like, will an arbitrator account for the fact that this season was shortened, right? Like, are they just going to rate stat all the guys and be like, well, Vertanen was a 20 goal scorer, right? Or are they going to be mindful of the context in which all of this has occurred? Uh, I think that's a really big gamble. I don't think teams are confident about that yet. And I think those are why those are complicated decisions and ones that, you know, we, we still don't have clarity on and that I bet you internally uh, the Canucks are still debating themselves. All right. I want to finish up with this because uh, I noticed that you wrote about it, uh, you and Dollywall putting your heads together uh, and coming up with another one of your what you're hearing columns that was posted earlier today at The Athletic ahead of the draft here. Again, I don't think anybody's expecting the Canucks to have a first rounder, so uh, they'll be bystanders on Tuesday night, but they'll be interested observers certainly as it sets the table for what's to come on Wednesday, rounds two through seven. Right now, they don't have a second rounder. Their first pick is 82nd overall. And I saw you make note of the fact that they seem to have some real interest in a goaltender somewhere there in the mid rounds. Yeah. And look, I'm still working on trying to, trying to get a name, but you can understand why the team's already peeved that I have (laughs) what I have. And look, there, there appears to be a goaltender that the Canucks really like possibly available in the middle rounds. Maybe they'd trade up to get him. I don't think he's their only target in that sort of, you know, low second, early third range necessarily. Uh, but I, I do think that there's some heavy interest in a in a goaltending prospect in particular, and I'm really curious to see how that plays out. Just because, you know, obviously the situation in between the pipes is a fraught one for a lot of reasons for the Canucks right now. Whether it's Markstrom, whether it's the emergence of Demko, whether it's you know the need to like if you sign Markstrom, you're going to need to sign a third goaltender to a two-year deal for expansion purposes. Uh, obviously, we've seen what DiPietro's done. They remain very high on Arthur's Silovs, who was another sort of Clark-recommended pick during the 2019 draft. Uh, look, the goalie succession plan, that's always occupied a ton of space in Jim Benning's plans, in Jim Benning's sort of approach to management. And I think, I think it's likely we see them take a goaltender in this class and potentially with their first pick of the night on Wednesday. So the draft goes Tuesday. Scott Burnside and Pierre Lebrun are going to have a brand new two-man advantage after the draft, just ahead of free agency. That'll be posted on Wednesday uh, at The Athletic, so you can look forward to that 
And again, we don't know when, but we'll be back later in the week. We'll see what the draft brings, uh, perhaps uh, during free agency, after free agency. Whatever the case, when there's big news, uh, we make that pledge, as we always have, that uh, we'll be all over it here at the VanCast as well. So make sure that phone is charged, Thomas. I know you're using it a lot right now, uh, but i got to be able to reach you. i got to be able to text you to uh, <laughs> ring the bat phone so that we can get uh, the new edition of the VanCast up and running sometime later in the week. And again, we keep saying it, and eventually we will be proven true this is going to turn out to be a fascinating and wild week of hockey for the vancouver canucks no question a historic historic week for the club um we've never seen anything like this this is going to be nuts it's going to be stressful it's going to be extremely exacting for canucks hockey operations and on the other side of it there will be decisions and transactions made that will shape the future of this franchise for both the short and the long term um, it's going to be fun to break it all down with you, J-Pat, and hopefully we get some action soon so that we can record again for the VanCast heads in the next 24 or 48 hours, which we'll do, but only in the event that the Canucks do something significant. In the meantime, Thomas, you settle into that gazing chair of yours. Uh, in your <laughs> I will. Back home now after your summer <laughs> in Edmonton, uh, you get comfortable in your gazing chair and uh, we'll, fire up, we'll fire up the podcaster uh, sometime later this week. In the meantime, check out our comment section for each and every podcast episode at the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe us. We love the feedback. Love to hear from you. Uh, the VanCast on Apple. And if you aren't a subscriber to The Athletic, subscribe now and save. Go to theathletic.com slash VanCast. You can receive an all-access subscription for just $1.25 a month. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the VanCast. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. We'll uh, fire up a brand-new podcast sometime later this week with free agency, possible trades, uh, news. Whatever happens in the form of news from the Vancouver Canucks, we'll have the latest for you later this week here at the VanCast at theathletic and theathletic.com. <laughs>